0: Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. Who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you saw aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged. His treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau? Your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Temen, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink And swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's the word of the Lord through the prophet Obadiah. And based on the message here that we've just read through, it seems like Obadiah received this vision just after Babylon had attacked Israel under the Lord's decision to punish Israel for their sin and idolatry. And that was in 586 BC, or around 2,600 years ago. And that would overlap Obadiah's ministry with the end of Jeremiah's ministry And indeed the message of Obadiah is very similar to Jeremiah chapter 49 where actually the first six verses there of Obadiah are more or less repeated verbatim through Jeremiah 2 by God. That word was spoken specifically against the nation of Edom as we see at the start in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Oftentimes in scripture, God speaks to the other nations around his people, nations like Ammon and Moab and and Philistia and Aram and and the big superpower nations too, uh, Egypt and and Assyria and Babylon. In Obadiah, the warning warning of of God's word goes specifically to this nation, Edom. Uh, Edom was one of Israel's next-door neighbours, so to speak, over on the eastern side of the Jordan Rift Valley and down to the south. Uh, But geography perhaps isn't nearly as important as family. And Edom and Israel shared a close family of origin story. In a nutshell, they were the two tribes descending from uh, the patriarch Isaac. Uh, You may know the story. Uh, I'll read a little of that backstory from Genesis 25. Uh, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. After his brother came out, uh, 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 holding uh, Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, and those two sons became two separated family lines. Uh, Jacob's family line became the nation of Israel. And so often in uh, Scripture, and particularly in the prophets, by the way, the names Jacob and Israel are used interchangeably, both for the man and for the nation, that is. Uh, Likewise, uh, the older brother Esau's family line became the nation of Edom. And so often in Scripture, and and particularly in the prophets, by the way, Esau and Edom are used interchangeably for the man and for the nation too. That's what's going on here in Obadiah. The verse 1 nation of Edom is the same as the nation of verse 6, Esau. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Verse 6, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. Edom, verse 1, is just another name for Esau. They're synonyms because Edom came from Esau. Uh, Esau, Edom, Edom, Esau. Jacob, Israel, Israel, Jacob. Uh, So the message uh, from God through this prophet Obadiah is therefore against a nation that is very closely related to Israel by family of origin. Uh, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. But Israel and Edom were not brotherly as nations, uh, as God had foretold during Rebekah's pregnancy. As brothers, they were separated into those two distinct family tribes and and rivalry between brothers led to rivalry between tribes from the very beginning. And by the time of Obadiah, more than a thousand years of that uh, family tribal division was now coming to an end because God is here declaring judgment on Edom. And we can track through that in the first uh, nine verses of Obadiah, the destruction God is proclaiming upon Edom. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The forces of God are being stirred up and coming against Edom to reduce that nation to insignificance. And, and that, despite the fact that Edom had actually thought themselves, arrogantly thought themselves even, to be quite safe in their land. Verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you, says God, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, saying in your heart, oh, Who will bring me down to the ground? Edom was a rugged, mountainous area. The Jordan Rift Valley lies a few hundred metres below sea level and then it rises rapidly into a mountain range a thousand metres above sea level. And this is where Edom lived. If you can visualise in your minds, I guess, Indiana Jones and Petra, you know, like the temples carved into the cliffs around Petra, you're in the, the exactly right spot of, uh, on the earth. You, you're just a bit too late of course. Uh, but even those carved uh, temples that, uh, into the cliffs, that was, that was not the Edomites who did that. That was the Nab- Nabataeans who came along 500 years later uh, after the Edomites had lived there. But that's where we're talking about in, uh, in the world. They felt very safe high up in those cliffs that they lived in. Uh, but perhaps the geography mightn't be as important uh, as, you know, a metaphor that it might be speaking of here. Edom's spiritual arrogance, perhaps, is what God means. Not just that they thought themselves safe in a military sense up in their rugged territory, but so too that they, they thought themselves to be above the call of God up there in the cliffs, beyond his reach. But either way, or perhaps it's both ways, not so, says God. Verse 4, though you saw aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down declares the Lord, and he means right down. The destruction here is catastrophic. If thieves had come to you, he says, if, if it was just plunderers by night, oh, you'd probably be all right. But no, how you have been destroyed. Would they not have just stolen enough for themselves, God asks? If it was grape gatherers, wouldn't they have left gleanings? But no, Esau has been pillaged. His treasures sought out, emptied out. And not just emptied out and cleaned out, but forced out from their territory altogether, forced out by the very nations around them who they had thought were on their side. Verse 7, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Edom just won't even see this coming when it comes because it will actually be the Lord's doing, verse 8, which is what he also said in verse 1. He is sending those nations against Edom. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and and understanding out of Mount Esau? Your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. That first column, that first nine verses of Obadiah are clear enough, wouldn't you say? Destruction is coming for the tribe of Esau. The next five verses explain why. it's For their arrogant uh, hostility towards their brother tribe of Israel when Israel was under attack by Babylon. Uh, To be clear about this though, It was God's hand that sent the Babylonians against Israel to punish them for their sin and idolatry. But it was wrong for Edom as a third-party nation and uh, especially by origin, being a sibling nation to Israel, it was wrong for them to, to relish that punishment in the day of Israel's trial and even join in the attack against them, God says. Verse 10, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. God says to Edom, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Don't rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Don't boast in this day of their distress. Don't enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity don't gloat over their disaster, don't loot their wealth, don't stand at the crossroads and cut off their refugees, don't hand over his survivors in the day of his distress. Gloating, you know, op- opportunism and uh, looting and, and even pursuing uh, their refugees to to what? To try to steal Israel's fate is what Edom is doing. Such is the attitude of the one tribe of Edom towards the other, Israel. And of course we must remember as we read through Obadiah, this is a nation that is historically known of God. This is a nation that has known of, of the Lord God that we're talking about here. Esau was Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son. Jacob's brother. Edom must have known the Lord God, Yahweh, and how much he had done. And yet they were hostile to God's people, their own ancestral brother tribe. Uh, And when God carried out his righteous discipline on his people, Edom reveled in it and they tried to nail them into a coffin. But not so. And now destruction is coming to Edom for taking that stance against God's people. We must be careful in Obadiah to see in his word here two very different outcomes in store for Edom and for Israel. These two tribes are heading for two very, very different futures. Israel must suffer exile for their sin and they will for 70 years under Babylon. But that is only God's discipline of them for their sin. After their discipline, Israel will be restored. For Edom's sin, a very different outcome has been declared here. Not discipline towards restoration, destruction. We need to think about those two very different outcomes for sin. But 1st let's see it laid out in the text here. First of all, verse 17, the restoration coming for Israel. In Mount Zion there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. Uh, Mount Zion is in the middle of Jerusalem. It functions as a synonym for Jerusalem. Despite having been plundered by Babylon, Jerusalem will again be holy to the Lord and Jacob, uh, that is Israel, will again receive the promised blessing. But a punishment will be coming for Edom that ends in utter destruction, says verse 18. Yeah, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau, Esau will be the stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Edom uh, is cut down, burnt, but on and on the restoration of Israel will go, verse 19. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They'll possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviours shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Edom's fate here, by the way, uh, declared by God, came to pass uh, over the next 400 or so years. They were forced out of their homeland. Uh, their refugees uh, took up residence, as it happens, in southern Judah until the Jewish uh, leader John Hercanus I conquered Uh, that region, in 110 BC. They rebranded as Edomians, as refugees, but they were conquered, uh, and the Edomite nation is no more. But while Edom might be the focus that our eyes land on here in Obadiah, by the end, I think, we're looking at something a bit more cosmic in scope. After tracking through there in verses 19 and 20, different points of the compass, by verse 21 at the end here, I think, Uh, Esau somehow now seems to represent everything that currently stands against God. All of it will one day fall under the kingship of the Lord. The sin of Edom captures something for us about bloodlines, uh, given their ancestral tie to Israel, but the destruction foretold here is coming for every nation that stands against God. That's actually what it said in verse 15. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they never had been. We've thought about and talked about the day of the Lord earlier in our series. God has set aside a a day of final judgment on which all humanity will be brought to account. Judgment Day, we otherwise call it. And people of every nation will be brought to account on that day, not just these people of Edom. So the specific case example here of Edom in, in Obadiah seems to connect us into something much bigger, something that we all need to listen to. The two tribes of Isaac... Israel and Edom also serve as metaphors for for, for two more cosmic tribes that between them will account for every human being ever. One tribe, if we might try to picture it in our minds, one tribe includes all the people, past, present and future, all the people who belong to God. They are his people. They may receive a punishment of discipline for their sin when needed, but ultimately they will be restored into a great inheritance because they belong to God and they belong to God forever. The kingdom will be the Lord's and so all his people will be safe in the end. The other tribe includes all those people, past, present and future, who don't and won't belong to God. They will receive a punishment of destruction for their sin there'll be no restoration for that tribe those two cosmic tribes won't fall out either on on simple ethnic lines as as we might be tempted to think here from the message of obadiah given as it is towards the immediate tribal context of his day of israel and edom the ultimate picture that these nations make us think about is is based on this simple criterion whether or not we belong to god That is the question. Regardless of our heritage, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our family or our people group or anything else, the only question is this. Do we or do we not belong to God? In fact, I think we should even step into the immediate context and unpick that a little bit. What Obadiah is saying here to Edom and Israel isn't actually simply in ethnic terms. On the one hand, you see, if you do track through Jeremiah that overlapped this ministry, you see the restoration will only come for a remnant of Israel rather than for every Israelite. It was only those who submitted to the Lord's discipline of exile who were restored. On the other hand, the people of God were always more than more than the simple ethnic line of of Jacob. From before they even began, we read in Scripture that Abraham, Abraham, the grandfather of both Jacob and Esau, Abraham had many other people in his family nation, servants and warriors and so on, we read in Genesis. We read too, uh, a little later in Exodus, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, that many other people went with them. When they stood in the desert and they renewed covenant with God before going into the promised land, that covenant included the foreigners who were with them. It even included uh, those who were not yet with them. When they entered the promised land, Rahab the Canaanite and her whole family were saved and became part of Israel. There was a whole people group called the Gibeonites who were saved and became part of Israel too. Caleb, Caleb who had faithfully spied out that promised land. Caleb, we repeatedly read in scripture, was a Kenazite. There's a couple of people groups by that name in scripture, but the likely option for Caleb is the ancestral line of Kenaz. Kenaz, who was one of the chiefs of ancient Edom as it happens. Caleb received an inheritance among Judah, and so too, by the way, did his brother Othniel. Jael the Kenite took a tent peg and staked out her loyalty to God. Ruth the Moabite also chose for God and his people. Later on, during this exile that that Obadiah is speaking towards, we read that many people from many other nations became Jews in the book of Esther. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that a few hundred years after all this here, even people from the perishing land of Edom were brought into this Jewish nation. Circumcised and brought under the Torah of God, they became Jews. All the way through the Bible story, people from other nations outside Israel were tying themselves and joining themselves to Israel. Why? Because they feared the Lord God and they wanted to be counted among his people. It's not just an ethnic line. Even in this immediate framework, are these two tribes of, of Israel and Edom that Obadiah is directly speaking to in his day. But so too, of course, and even more so, we should say. The, the bigger picture that, that the Obadiah's message makes us think about, when the day of the Lord comes, there will be just two tribes standing at the judgment and it'll be those from all the nations on this earth who belong to God and those from all the nations on the earth who don't. The gospel according to Obadiah eventually asks the question, Will you be found standing with God on that day or against him? Will you be among his people or opposed to them? If we can stretch out uh, from Obadiah's message to, to Israel and Edom in, into that bigger cosmic picture, we, we might first of all take hold of the great joy and assurance here for the one tribe, for those who belong to God. Others can treat us as fools. Others can uh, boast against us, speak to us like idiots. They can uh, dive in, stack on, strip away from us, everything they can strip away from us, kick us while we're down like Edom did to Israel. We are living in just such a time, aren't we? But all of that means nothing in regard to the end because the kingdom will be the Lord's. In God's eternal plans, we will be restored. We will one day rule over everything under our God. The kingdom will be the Lord's, he says in verse 21, and therefore what an outcome for all of the Lord's people. For the other tribe in that more cosmic picture, if God could speak to you today through through the bulk of Obadiah's message here, It would be warning. It would be warning. You stand condemned. You and the whole tribe on this earth with you. Meditate on Obadiah and ask yourself, what is it that that Edom were being called to through Obadiah's word? What is it that it still calls people to today? Isn't it? Repentance, turning from our sin and and turning to the Lord, turning to him to come for his mercy, to to avoid the coming destruction. The two outcomes of of judgment or salvation rolling through the gospel according to Obadiah are not actually that different to the two outcomes of the gospel according to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Judgment hangs over everyone, my friends. and If we will not turn to God first, we will all of us perish. The Bible repeatedly calls people to this, that we stop resisting God and and standing against God. It calls us with a gospel clarity that runs all the way through the scriptures if we've got eyes to see it. And yet so many people won't see it, will they? They won't. And even if they're shown this gospel clarity, they won't turn, will they? They won't repent. They are determined to resist and reject God. If that's where you stand today, then please take warning through Obadiah. Or perhaps you'd rather hear it from John 3, 18. Whoever believes in Jesus is no longer condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Ask the questions in Obadiah. Why would Edom have heard this earlier word of this gospel through, through Obadiah and, and not repented of their sin? Especially when they must have known of God. Why do people hear the word of God today and and still not repent? Well, there's a great lie and there's a great pretense in that lost tribe around this matter of sin and repentance. A great lie and a great pretense. The lie is that a lot of them simply refuse to believe that they're sinful. They either deny that there is a holy God who has marked out our right and wrong or, or they define their own right and wrong. Maybe they've even gotten to saying that everything is right from now on. They will be devastated on the final day to discover that, that it is not them, but the very real and the very holy God who sets the standard of our judgment. Others in that lost tribe, though, might concede a holy God. They might concede that there's a framework here has set out for us, but they're lost in a great pretense. They just presume upon God to be forgiving on that day at the end. But in presuming upon God's forgiveness uh, on that last day, that they, they don't actually make a decision today, here and now, to stand with God. They won't turn from their sin. Here's a reality check. In the simple gospel of Jesus, God has put forward his chosen means of forgiveness for sin. But who will come and repent and stand with the rest of God's people to receive it? At the end of the day, not everyone is actually interested in forgiveness and salvation after all. John 3.19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Why would they then presume upon God's forgiveness? But perhaps there's others in that tribe who just haven't heard yet of the gospel or understood yet its called. so so let me speak to that just a little more as as to what everyone must understand on this message of scripture even though the world does clamor about about God being loving and forgiving and he is so too though what they never seem to think about or process is that he is also good holy righteous he can't simply ignore the sin that he forgives If he ignored the sin that he forgives, he'd be wicked and corrupt, which he is not. Therein is the fundamental reason that forgiveness has to come to us through Jesus Christ, God's only son. Because the punishment, friends, had to fall somewhere. It had to fall somewhere and in his mercy God allowed it to fall on him, on Jesus Christ God's only son, crucified for our sin. And so forgiveness can now flow from this wonderful forgiving God and it can only rightly flow through Jesus Christ. Any other concept floating around out there about the forgiving God actually makes him completely weak or or watery or wishy-washy or corrupt And uncaring about sin, which if you think about it for more than five minutes or so, actually renders then that forgiveness of which they speak, meaningless. The forgiveness we need... If we're to be reconciled to God, the forgiveness we need to be, to be transferred from the tribe of destruction to the tribe of eternal hope, that forgiveness we need can only come to us through Jesus Christ. Will you then receive this forgiveness from God in this only righteous way that can atone for your sin? If you have repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he has atoned for your sin, you receive that forgiveness. So, so, so if that's you and you have done that, then take hold of Obadiah the other way around. Realise now that you are of his tribe. You now are forever called and kept unto God. Whatever you go through, you will be restored even when his discipline comes, even when hostility comes, that that somehow is for your eternal good, which God has in mind. Realize that destruction is no longer the word for you. And nothing can take you out of God's hand if you are in Jesus Christ. The kingdom will be the Lord's. How blessed then are you? Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy Obadiah this week and digging in deeper than we can in our short time today. But let me now close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we always thank you for your word to us. And today this word through your prophet Obadiah. Here in this prophet, Father, we see that your judgment is coming against everyone who opposes you and opposes your plans. We see too here, Father, that there is restoration and joy and victory for those who belong to you to look forward to. We understand from the rest of your word that we do have now, Father, that that comes to us by your grace to us in Jesus Christ. And so actually it's all we can do to just thank you and praise you for this is all your work. At the same time, Father, we pray for those around us who who haven't yet repented and come to you. Uh, we struggle under their hostility, but we don't want them to face judgment. And so we ask that you would bring them to, to repentance, uh, that you would give us uh, the courage to show them your word, uh, teach them your gospel, and press these things upon their minds and hearts, that they too might come to trust in Jesus and receive the same outcome that you have for us, But this is your work to do, Father. Help us to have courage to just take part in it. Everything sits in your mighty hands. And so it's all we can do to lift it up and ask these things in Jesus' name and to leave it all for you. Amen.